0: Okay, so it's time for us to start our last message of the camp. Our last message of the camp. Who can remind me what is the series called? So it's on the very cover page of your booklet. What's the series called? Examples examples of obedience. That's right. In every single message, the point is there was a person, this person was in an extremely difficult situation to do the right thing, and this person did the right thing. And we've been talking about how faithfulness and obedience are actually genuinely possible. But in your life, just like the majority of you are going to end up being married and have to deal with that and have to function that, there's actually something else. That I can say with far more confidence, you are going to have to deal with a situation that you're going to have to go through something that is difficult to deal with something that you don't want to deal with, but something that you will have to deal with frequently. And that is how do you respond when you sin? Because while I can say that statistically speaking, most of you will get married, and you will be in difficult situations in your life, I can say with 100% certainty about all of you that you will sin, and sometimes that sin is going to be massive, sometimes that sin might be a bit smaller, but you need to know how to respond to it. And today, we're gonna be taking a look at David. And we're going to be taking a look at David, someone who is one of the most faithful people in all of history. Someone who wrote more than half of the Psalms. Someone who God refers to as a man after his own heart, both before, during, and after his reign. Someone that God judges every other king of Judah that comes after David in comparison to David. He says he was a good king, but his heart wasn't fully belonging to the Lord like the heart of David. Or he was a bad king, not following in the way of David. So we have a righteous man who committed one of the most massive sins you could ever commit and then replied by again committing another one of the most massive sins you can ever commit, for which the penalty was death. And we're going to see when David was in a situation with no way out, when David created for himself a situation with no way out, what did he do? Because every single one of us is going to have to struggle with sin. Every single one of us is going to have to repent. And there are so many reasons why we don't want to. For example, we like our sin. A lot of times we don't want to give it up because it's attractive to us. Other times, it's because we're addicted to it. It's a sin that we want to give up so badly, but like Proverbs says, we're bound in the cords of our sin. And other times, we feel guilty or we feel external pressures that keep us from doing the things that we should do. And so we're going to look at someone who had every reason not to repent and yet did. So I want to stop front-loading it, and we're just going to dive right in. Point one of this message is that David is sinful. Point one is that David is sinful. Uh, We can find you, pen. So, in chapter 11, in verse 1, it says, In the spring of the year, at the time when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and all his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. We're only one verse in and we've already got some sin to talk about. Real quick, it's the time when what happens? It's the time when specifically it says to go out to battle. When kings go out to battle. It's the time when kings go out to battle, and where is David? In his castle. In his castle. It is the time when kings go out to battle and David is not where he should be. David is compromising. David is already failing to do the things that he should be doing. And a lot of times that's where compromise starts. You start with small sins and then from there you work up. When we were talking about Solomon, we talked about how Solomon didn't start by offering sacrifices to every idol under the sun. Solomon didn't just wake up one day and think to himself, you know what, I'd like to marry 999 more women today. Solomon didn't just wake up and plunge into the sin that would cause God to take the kingdom away from him. He compromised first. He started by amassing wealth. He started by offering on the high places he started by doing smaller things that worked up from there and no one starts with massive sins you typically start with the small things and work up because you want to work up you have a natural desire to sin and david is not on guard so david's compromising and so first thing that you should think about this is kind of a cautionary tale if you want to avoid sin in your life you want to avoid massive sin struggles in your life What's one of the ways that you can stop yourself from doing it? You don't. Sin. sin. Okay. You don't. starts with a C. You don't make small compromises. That's right. You don't start down the path to bigger sin. You're vigilant and you repent when it's small. Because what could David have done right now? It's the time that kings go out to battle. David stayed home. What could he do right now? Go to battle. He could go to battle. He could repent of the small stuff he could go to battle and second samuel 11 and 12 wouldn't exist so david could have stopped small but now we're going to continue he didn't do that he didn't repent he didn't go out to battle he compromised and it says in verse 2 it happened late one afternoon which whenever it says it happened And this is exactly the same in the book of Ruth, by the way. And is a lot of places in the Bible. It'll say, it just so happened that this thing took place. And the thing that you need to understand is it's kind of like a tongue-in-cheek kind of thing. Because is anything truly random? No. No. Things aren't truly random. When a storm comes by and starts attacking Jonah's ship, that's not really random. That's God doing that. But there are also situations like this... Where it's not random, this is a situation that David put himself into. It's not happenstance that David sinned. So it says, it happened late one afternoon, tongue in cheek, that when David arose from his couch late one afternoon, interesting, he's sleeping in, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. Okay, step number O dose. What is David doing right now? He's watching a lady bathing, peeping Tom. Tom. Yeah, we got a word for that. It's called creepers. So David is watching someone bathing and you know what? Hey, there are times in your life where you're walking and you just see something out of the corner of your eye and it's not very appropriate and you just look away. It's It's not your fault that like, oh, someone happened to be like showing you something or maybe someone happened to be walking down the street scantily clad, like that's not your fault. So when you see it, you just look away, you walk forward. But then it's that time that you look back and now you're back on compromising. First, David isn't going back to battle and now he's actually watching as someone bathes. So again, what could David do right now? He could repent and go to battle. It's still like, this is worse than just staying home from battle, but this is still in the territory of like smaller sins, especially in the scheme of everything else. David could right now, repent, leave, and the rest of the chapters wouldn't exist, but he doesn't. So now let's see what David does. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And when we talk about Uriah the Hittite, that's one of David's mighty men. This is one of the people closest to David. It'd be like if I sent after... There's not a not creepy way to do this. Okay, it'd be like if I sent after the wife of someone who is a very, very close friend of mine. I'm not going to say names because that's weird. No one wants to be the example in that sermon illustration. So it'd be like if I sent and inquired after the wife of someone very close to me, right? No good. No bueno, man. His servant's like, David, I see what you're doing. I see what you're asking about. Put the brakes on it. Is this not the wife? Full stop. Could have been enough information It's someone else's wife of one of your closest friends. The mighty men who followed David when he was being chased out of his kingdom. The mighty men who were with David when he was being chased down by Saul. The mighty men who have been with David throughout his reign. This is a close friend of David's and he is about to commit sin with that guy's wife. Once again, he should be repenting, going out to battle, and the rest of the chapters wouldn't exist. But he doesn't. So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. And then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. She sent and told David, I am pregnant. So at this point, things just escalated a little bit. Can can anyone remind me, what is the consequence for adultery? Death. Death. Up until this very moment, everything David did was entirely within his own heart. He could have repented of it. He could have gone out to battle. And it still would have been sinful. But things just changed. All of the sudden, if David comes clean about his sin, he dies. All of a sudden, there are stakes, there are external things that are making it difficult for David to confess and repent. David is going to die if he repents, or at least that's how he feels. So, real quick, what should David do in this situation? Yes, he should repent. God is merciful, God is forgiving, and repentance is always the option that you should pursue. David even right now could repent. Take the consequences. Maybe God shows mercy, maybe he doesn't, but David should repent right now. And again, the rest of the chapters wouldn't exist, but it continues. Because the issue is she's pregnant. Everyone's going to know what David did, and David wants to cover it up. Yes. How does know David did it? How, how does who know that yeah, David did what? She has a husband. How would they know that David did it? Okay, I heard someone say she has a husband. Where is her husband right now? He's out in battle where David should be. It's a little bit weird when your husband's been out for battle for two years and all of a sudden you are got you know a kid. There might be some questions about that. But also the servants know. David sent his servants to get Bathsheba. Bathsheba's servants were with her and she comes over and he's about to involve some more people. So there are people who know. But also it gets a whole lot harder to hide adultery when the person in question is pregnant. So David's got a rough situation he's in. And he's going to try to cover it up. Instead of repenting, he tries to cover it up. So David sent word to Joab saying, send me the Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. So David's thinking, I'm going to get Uriah home. Uriah's going to go spend some time with Bathsheba. And in nine months, bada bing, bada boom, he's got a baby that he thinks is his. Problem solved. And David thinks that's how this is going to go. But in verse 9, But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. And by the way, we're about to see a contrast between the character of David and the character of Uriah. Because... Uriah is refusing to enjoy his own wife because all of his comrades are out to battle. And contrast that with David, who should be out to battle. And while he's not doing that, he's enjoying Uriah's wife. It's a little bit backwards. But we're about to contrast the character. And it says, verse 10, When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. That is some serious character. There's no rule that says he couldn't have gone home. There's no rule that says he can't enjoy himself, but his conscience won't let him do it. And the interesting thing is, at no point in this is Uriah being insulting to David. He's saying, as you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. He's still being respectful and kind to David. And yet this should be stinging like a spear in the heart of David because Uriah is saying all of these things about the things that David should have been doing. The ark's out there, David. Israel's out there, David. Joab's out there, David. Where you should be. Yes. I don't think he was. I don't think he was doing it on purpose. I don't think that Uriah was trying to be like sharp because he says, as you live and as your soul lives, Uriah is being respectful. But this should be cutting to David's core. So Uriah throws his, uh, shows his character and David continues his plan. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next, and David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his lord, but he did not go down into his house. David thinks he's going to get Uriah drunk, and that then Uriah will do it. But even slam-diggity-jam-wasted, Uriah still is not going down to his house. He's still not doing anything. So David's plan is failing, and David shifts gears. He says, In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah, and in the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him, that he may be struck down and die. So now we introduce another sin. David's been trying to cover up his sin. He's trying to cover up what he's done. And it's not working, and so instead of repenting and doing what he should be doing, David decides to commit murder. Again, to a close friend. Which is wild, right? Like Drew, who's someone that you grew up with in the church? Uh, Miles, <laughs> Miles, yeah. It'd be like if Drew decided that he was going to try to kill Miles. Like, in addition to everything else that's going on, there's actually a close relationship between David and Uriah, but he's so desperate to cover up his sin that he's going to kill a close friend that he's known for years. But think about this. Who's carrying that letter down to Joab? It tells you. Who did David send the letter by the hand of? Uriah. Uriah. What could Uriah have done at any point on the journey with that letter that he's so curious about what David wrote on it? He could have looked at it. Uriah has such character that he doesn't even glance at that letter, and David is so sure of Uriah's integrity that he has Uriah deliver the very letter that is commanding Joab to kill him. And that is in direct contrast to David one of the most righteous people who has ever lived, who has now sunk to one of the lowest lows imaginable. So Uriah goes and Joab follows through and Uriah dies and David thinks he's gone away with it. And in verse 26, it says, when the wife of Uriah heard that her husband was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And the issue is David thinks he's got away with it. Uriah's dead. Bathsheba is now married to him. So people are going to assume that the kids in wedlock, maybe a little bit of a shotgun wedding kind of thing, but you've still got some people who know, but most importantly, who knows? God, God knows. And the issue is, David is now in the deepest low. He thinks he's gotten away with it, but what's the penalty for adultery? Death. Death. What's the penalty for murder? Death. Death. Twice over, David deserves to die for what he's done, and he's tried to hide it. Would you say that David has very good reason to not confess? Would, like, there's some pretty understandable reasons that David doesn't want people to know what he's done, because what's going to happen to him again? He's going to die. That's a pretty good motivation. But what should David do? Repent. And we're going to see exactly how that happens. But the thing that I want you guys to think about is this. Repentance is always the correct answer because God sees. Even when you think that no one else knows, God sees and God judges. We read a couple chapters ago, two lessons ago, we read about God killing a husband for being a bad uh, husband. God sees God cares, and God judges. But when you repent, God takes care of you. And it doesn't mean that there won't be consequences in this life, but what's the ultimate consequence for sin? More than death, what is it? What happens after you die? Hell. And that is the ultimate consequence for sin. And if you come to God and you repent, then you get saved from that. And when it comes down to it, the consequences that we have in this life are small fries compared to the consequences that happen afterward. And for each of us, we aren't in a situation where we necessarily are going to die and get killed right now if we repent. But David was in that situation. And it's so much harder for David in this situation to repent for his sin than it is for us to repent for our sin. And each of us has the same responsibility. Each of us sins, each of us is a sinner, and each of us has the responsibility to repent of that sin. Not only out of obedience, but also out of a sense of you know, self-preservation. But we're gonna see what David does, and we're gonna see that point number two, David is repentant. So that's point number two, David is repentant. David commits all of this sin, and despite all of the consequences that are gonna come his way as a result of it, David is repentant. And we know from other sections of the Bible, I believe Psalm 32, we know that David was in his sin for a full year, unrepentant. But then in verse 12, the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said to him, there were two men in a city, the one rich and one poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and he grew and it grew with him and with his children. And it used to eat his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So think about this. Nathan is coming to confront David And we could talk about all the stuff that's involved in that. The fact that Nathan was taking his life in his own hands, that the last person who might have found out about David's sin, David killed. So Nathan is very much taking his life in his own hands and might be killed for this. We're going to skirt past that because that's not the point, but you should think about that too. But this lamb is a pet. It's a member of the family for this person. And Taylor, I'm sure you can attest to how much people are willing to do for their pets. Working in that animal hospital, you know very far, very well how people will go. A lot of money for their pets, a lot of time and pain and energy, right? People care about their pets. And Nathan takes something and he gives it to David. And it says, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And again, we could talk about how David quoted the exact scripture, the exact penalty for killing someone's sheep, but we're going to skirt past that too. Because on the, in the scale of things, is killing someone else's sheep, is that bigger or smaller than committing adultery with someone else's wife and then killing them? Way smaller, a little, little bit smaller, right? A whole lot smaller. So David is infuriated at the sin of someone else, but he's blind to his own. But then David says, "Then Nathan said to David, You are the man, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. So the thing is, David has just been outed. All of the sin that he's been trying to hide for the last year is now out there. And again, what's the penalty? Death. And we're going to see how David responds. I'm going to skip down a little bit. And it says in verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And that's it. I have sinned against the Lord. David acknowledges. David repents. If you read Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, you get more in depth about exactly what that is. But David rec- excuse me. David recognizes his sin and he repents of it as soon as he is confronted. And that's actually kind of major, because if you also read in Psalm 51, I'm actually going to pull that up real quick. If you read in Psalm 51, David says... For I know my transgressions, this is verse 3, this is David speaking about his sin with um, Bathsheba. In fact, this psalm takes place after, it says, when Nathan the prophet went to him. It says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words, and blameless in your judgment. So David, he repents. He says, I did the wrong thing. Yes? What psalm is this again? Psalm 51. So David does the right thing. He repents. He says, I know what I did. I know it was wrong. And you are justified when you judge me. That's David saying, I will take the, po- the consequences. David says, I have done what is wrong. I have sinned against the Lord and I know the penalty and I am ready to accept it. And the thing is, sometimes we offer like hollow repentance where we say that we're sorry because we're trying to get our parents not to discipline us. We're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And you're like trying to say it quick enough before they punish you. And it's not actually because you're sorry, it's because you're trying to escape the penalty. And when David repents, he is not trying to escape the penalty, he's genuinely repentant. And he knows full well that once again, what's the penalty? Death. 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 But once again, God is merciful. And immediately after David says that, And Nathan said to the David, The Lord also has put away your sin, you shall not die. Nevertheless, because of this deed, which you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. Yes. No, yeah, full on mic drop, goes back to his house. But David is in a situation, like one thing that you need to understand is that repentance doesn't mean no consequences. Repentance doesn't mean that all the consequences go away, but repentance does mean that you are forgiven. First John 1, nine. What? If, he, if, he, if David died, then his son would live. So he, it's, it's a life for a life. So, so somebody had to die. So what was the son? So the reason that the son dies is not necessarily because David lives. It's not that God is making a transaction and saying, it is a punishment. Absolutely. But think about this. Um, who became the king after David? Solomon. Solomon. Who was Solomon the son of? Bathsheba. That's right. Where might this child have ended up if he had lived? He might've been the king. That's right. His younger brother became the king. And in God's eyes, like, I'm not saying that this is the only reason that that God killed this kid, but to have the product of adultery and murder be your king before Israel, that might've had something to do with it. Additionally, it's a reminder to David that your sin affects other people, which by the way, your sin doesn't just affect you. It affects other people. But additionally, it might've just been one of the consequences for that. Consequences don't always only touch you, right? There's a splash zone for your consequences. If I'm drunk driving and I've got three people in the car with me and I drive off a bridge, am I the only one that dies? No. Exactly. And your sin has consequences, not just for you, but for others. But before I continue, my third point is that sin has consequences. So David does repent. God does have mercy, but there are still consequences. And I'm going to take a step back out of the story real quick and just talk to you guys about what the main point is. Not all of us are necessarily Christians and there are people in the world who aren't Christians and God's instruction, the responsibility of someone who isn't a Christian is to repent. The responsibility of someone who isn't a Christian is to forsake their sin, to recognize the person they've sinned against and repent and repent right? And one of the things that you need to think about is that God is faithful and righteous to forgive you. First John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God offers us heaven. He offers us an escape from hell. He offers us an escape from the primary consequences of our sins. And that's a good thing. And every single person has the responsibility to repent both before you're a Christian and after you're a Christian. Even after you become a Christian, you continue repenting. But that doesn't mean the consequences all go away. For example, David's son dies. This poor kid dies. In addition, if we go back up to verse 10, it says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. Which happens, by the way, his son Absalom rebels against him. And David has to go on the run because one of his sons is trying to kill him and take over the kingdom. You have another son that aggressively hugs his sister. And that's a whole massive problem. And then you have another son that kills that son for aggressively hugging the sister. And I won't explain that euphemism. Uh, And then... (laughs) Beyond that, it says, I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he will lie with your wives in the sight of the sun for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. Which by the way, something else to consider, a lot of what God just described are people sinning against David, but it says that God sent it. It says, I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And God sends consequences into our lives because of the sin that we commit. And if you talk to people who they lived a life of sin and wanton pleasure before they became a Christian and they got converted later in their life after they had kind of committed their life to sin, they'll tell you, man, they still face the consequences of that. I know people who right now are extraordinarily righteous people who my dad's one of them, by the way, he actually talks about this in church, but like he wasn't a Christian growing up and he still right now lives with some of the consequences of the things he was doing when he was 18 years old. And sin has consequences that are long lasting, even if you repent. And a lot of times we have this weird view that I'm just going to steal the bike and then say, sorry. Like, if you've ever heard that, that joke, you know, I prayed and asked God for a bike, but I know that God doesn't work like that. So I just stole a bike and asked for forgiveness. Like, have you guys ever heard that joke? No. Like, that's a lot of times how people view forgiveness. That's how people view repentance. And that's just wrong. And sin has consequences. So you should avoid sin to start with. You should repent early because David would have a whole lot less consequences if he had repented when he should have been going out to war. He would have had a whole lot less consequences when he repented if he had been repentant when he just looked over the window and saw Bathsheba bathing. And you need to stop early. You need to repent early. You need to repent, first of all, while there's still time. Because there are some people who think they still have time to repent and they get in a car accident. And you're not promised any given day, so you need to be obedient now. But, just to conclude, David, once again, a person who was in an extraordinarily difficult situation, David is in the hardest situation to repent. He's in the hardest situation to confess. He has an entire nation that's expecting him to be the righteous one that he's letting down. He has an entire nation that's going to kill him if he confesses. He has good reason to be scared. And yet he repented. And for the most part, we aren't going to be in situations that are that dire. But even if you are, repent. The most important thing that you're going to have in your life, one of the most important things you're going to have in your life is how you deal with sin. The most important is how you interact and deal with God, but very closely related to that is how you deal with sin. So with that in mind, be like David. Not in the sense that you sin, but in the sense that you repent for it afterward. You know, be better than David in the sense that you repent early. But just remember, repentance is possible. So, with that, let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Lord, thank you that you give us not only good examples, but also bad examples. Thank you that there are plenty of situations in the Bible where we see people who are not what they should be, people who could have been better, should have been better, but failed anyway. And Lord, we are those people. I pray that you would help us to remember that, repentance is possible, repentance is required, and repentance is better. That repentance gives us the mercy of God, and that repentance, even though it doesn't get rid of all of our consequences, it gets rid of the biggest one. David had difficulty for the rest of his life, but he still had his life. And in the same way, we can still live with the consequences of our sin, but we can still have life. I pray that you would help us to recognize the value of repentance, to recognize the value of a relationship with you, and to help us to actually pursue that. That we would see that sin is an ugly thing that has consequences in our lives, that ultimately leaves us empty and damaged. But Lord, even when we get to that point, even if we go down that road, we can still repent. And you specialize in taking broken things and putting them back together. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to pursue that. And I pray these things in the name of our King Jesus Christ. Amen.